The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, on this, the very last day of 2013. Uh, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel, and I'd also... I'd uh, like to uh, thank our sponsors for making the show economically viable. Uh, and uh, today's sponsors are Nanostruck Technologies, Paramount Gold and Silver Corp., Columbus Gold, and Golden Arrow Resources. Um, I should mention uh, that the best place to go to listen to this show is at jtaylormedia.com, J-A-Y Taylor T-A-Y-L-O-R, media.com. In fact, starting next week, the second hour of our two-hour show will be aired at jtaylormedia.com. Simply go there and click on the podcast button, and it will take you right to the second phase, uh, the second hour of our show, beginning next week, which will be the first uh, quarter or the uh, winter season 2014. Also, I'd like to encourage you to keep your uh, emails coming this way. If you've got questions, comments, criticisms, or praises, send them to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. I would like to remind you that now is the time to sign up for Chen Lin's newsletter. Chen Lin's newsletter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Uh, does become available to new subscribers during the first uh, 10 business days of each new quarter, and uh, but to sign up, uh, that is to subscribe, you need to put your name on a waiting list, and uh, I think there's a good chance uh, there's still some spaces available. We do uh, cap it at a certain number of subscribers, uh, but uh, there are some available spots open for the next quarter, so go to, uh, for that, you need to go to miningstocks.com. That's M-I-N-I-N-G-S-T-O-C-K-S.com, and click on the Chen button, and then just follow the instructions on uh, how to put your name on the list. Then you will be given a an email will be received from our uh, from our office uh, if you uh, if a spot is available for you. So, uh, but don't um, don't hesitate. Go there now. 
uh, to put your name on the list at miningstocks.com. If you're interested in Chen's letter, Chen has had a tremendous uh, amount of success in the past. As we've said in the past, over a 10-year period, uh, starting in 2003, he took $5,400 and divvied that into $2.5 million at one point. Came down a bit after that, but he has done exceedingly well. Uh, and uh, if you do need to be more of a trader mentality, though, I would say to really take full advantage of Chen. So if you are a person that has some money to invest in, uh, in Chen's ideas, and then have uh, time to keep an eye on uh, on those investments, and I think you can do exceedingly well with Chen. So uh, if you fit into that category and you'd like to try, uh, if you'd like to sign up for his service, I recommend that you uh, not waste any time and get right after it. Go to miningstocks.com uh, to proceed. You can also sign up for my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, uh, and we do have a three-month trial subscription there, so you can try it. If it isn't for you, that's fine. Uh, but I do hope that you will seriously consider subscribing to my letter uh, as we move into 2014, because I believe it is very possible that hedge fund manager Bill Lagner, who will, uh, is scheduled to be with me next week, uh, that he could very well be right when he said that he believes that gold stocks are going to have a monster year in 2014. Well, we'll listen to why he thinks that's the case uh, when uh, Bill comes on with us next week. Um, of course, um, to say that, to even think that gold is a good place to put your money is a very unfashionable, uh, not a very po- uh, popular idea these days. The mainstream always hates gold, and they are rejoicing now that gold has been in a bear market. But that is nothing new. The mainstream never believes gold is a wise investment uh, or a store of value for that matter because they've been brainwashed to think otherwise. In the third segment of the of the first hour of today's show, Dimitri Speck uh, will be joining me for the first time. And he's uh, written what I think is perhaps the best book there is uh, that brings all the evidence together in one place for the manipulation of the gold markets, as the Gold Antitrust Action Committee has been talking about for quite a few years now. It's, uh, of course, it's the same major bankers and central uh, bankers who have been robbing and pillaging the masses in all manner of other scandals. So, if you know, one wonders if the gold market isn't uh, manipulated, why would that one be unique? The LIBOR markets, virtually every market in the world, the housing bubble was created by massive amounts of manipulation and money pumping, uh, and uh, the problems that we're having to this day have resulted from massive amounts of money that has been uh, pumped into the system and never allowed to cleanse the system out because every wave brings about a new wave of Keynesian stimulus and markets are never allowed to return to equilibrium. So government logic is very clear. As Dimitri uh, Speck, I'm sure, will tell us, um, the aim is to manipulate behavior of the masses away from honest money with intrinsic value towards money that can be created out of nothing by the central bankers who own the printing presses, and they use that then uh, to favor their own shareholders, the big major bankers that own and control the Federal Reserve. That who, that's who the Federal Reserve was created for, and that's why they wanted to get rid of gold, because gold is the people's money. Gold is money that allows an even playing field, and these guys don't want an even playing field. They want all the laws and all everything stacked in their favor so they can gain market, uh, market control. Um, they, you, one wonders, even as you were just reading again this morning, uh, about how J.P. Morgan uh, is attempting to bribe Chinese officials 
uh, and get and make inroads into the Chinese markets by giving uh, cushy jobs to the kids of powerful and uh, powerful people in China. What is going on there? Uh, perhaps uh, to try to solidify and pull together a one-world government. I think that's what it's all about, essentially, by the ruling elite. Well, in today's show, I've titled it Gold Cartel Destruction and Its Aftermath. As I just mentioned, uh, one of my main guests will be Dimitri Speck, who visits this show for the first time, and I can't say enough good about his book, The Gold Cartel, because I do think it brings together in one place uh, all of the major evidence that GATA has pulled together over a number of years. And so uh, Dimitri is, uh, pulls together an extremely well-documented book, uh, it's like a thief in the night. The main idea behind the constant downward manipulation of the gold price is to keep people from opting out of fiat uh, money. Uh, they 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 got to keep the masses interested and confident and conned into fiat, holding fiat money uh, because if people leave that fiat money system, then the ruling elite will no longer have the ability to rape, rob, and pillage as they've been doing for years and years. Uh, so Dimitri Speck uh, will provide evidence uh, of this manipulation uh, when we talk to him, but the gold cartel is exceedingly well documented. We won't be able to, to cover anywhere near all of that evidence today, but you, uh, I would really suggest that you take a, a good look, uh, go out and buy the gold cartel, because I think it's very, very important to understand what's really going on as opposed to what the mass media is telling you is happening. Following Dimitri, uh, John Rubino will check in again with us to cover some of the topics we didn't get to the last time John was on our show. And one of the main topics we did not get to talk about was that of Bitcoin. Why in the world did Bitcoin explode higher when the Cyprus bail-ins were announced, but gold got hammered lower? Well, we will ask John about that as well as a host of other questions relating to the markets and where he thinks the debt, equity, currency, and precious metals markets might be headed in 2014. Toward the end of today's show, Daniel McAdams will return to talk about the NSA and the uh, prospects for Americans uh, remaining with any kind of freedom in the midst of a growing fascist economy in the United States. It certainly seems to be uh, the way things are headed. Uh, Daniel will talk about a couple of recent court cases, one in favor of liberty and one very much against it. Uh, we'll ask him to comment on NSA and other topics on the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. And in just a few minutes, my friend Gene Epstein will be joining me to talk about the next Junto and the guest speaker who will be talking about some major problems that uh, have been festering in the United States medical system over a number of years and uh, where does he see the Obamacare uh, uh, affordable health care legislation taking us. How will we fare in that system? We want to pick his brains. Uh, well, we're going to ask Gene to comment on that, uh, as well as the uh, the main theme of our speaker at the New York City Junto. In the final minutes of today's show, I will give you some of my own ideas about where I think markets are heading in 2014, and I will share with you uh, the portfolio allocation that I am suggesting and actually did suggest last weekend to my uh, subscribers of Jay Taylor's uh, Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Well, we do have to go to break now, and uh, when we come back, uh, Gene Epstein will be with us to talk about this uh, next New York City Junto, which is held at the uh, General Society Library. That's the first Thursday of every week. Uh, and Gene moderates that uh, program, does an excellent job. It's always a good show. I try to go every every pos- every uh, uh, every 
meeting that they have every thir- uh, first Thursday of every month. Uh, so we're going to go to breakdown when we come back. We'll be talking to Gene Epstein uh, about um, uh, about that show coming up. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and it's the uh, that first Tuesday of every month. We look forward to having Gene Epstein with us. Gene is a regular guest. He comes on the first Tuesday of every month to talk about the uh, New York City Junto meetings that occur every Thursday at 20 West 44th Street between 5th and 6th Avenues. It's an excellent forum uh, that uh, really is attended by a lot of, uh, a lot of, I would say, deep-thinking people. Uh, they always a great, uh, a great speaker, uh, a very intellectual uh, uh, speaker that is brought on, and Gene has been uh, very, very good at bringing in some really top-name people, but very. Uh, very smart, very bright people that have something unique to contribute. Uh, so uh, it's always a pleasure to have Gene with us. Gene is pra- perhaps best known for his weekly uh, economic beat column at Barron's, but he's also uh, the uh, he also is the book review editor for that prestigious publication. So it's always good to have him with us. Thank you, Gene, for joining me once again. Well, yes, and thanks for the plug about Junto. Of course, Junto is always the first Thursday of each month. Vic Niederhofer, who's the philanthropist who's been funding Junto, who started 30 years ago, insists on the first Thursday. And that's why, of course, we're talking on uh, the final day of the year. This is the Tuesday <laughs> before the Thursday. So things get a little sloppy. But uh, hopefully the hangovers will be passed by January 2nd, Thursday evening, and uh, people can come. It's a, it's a marvelous location. Uh, that, again, wasn't my choice, but it's 20 West 44th Street, right in the heart of Midtown, just off Fifth Avenue, 
a, a auditorium in a library that accommodates over 200 people, and we definitely get our money's worth from the speakers because they're on for two hours. People, of course, can leave uh, by 9, 9.30. They're getting a little weary, but uh, almost anybody who's got a question or a statement or whatever who wants to confront the speaker gets ample opportunity to do so, and you don't have to have press credentials to get into these things to, uh, to the Junto meetings. You can be anybody, libertarian, uh, classical liberal, or fascist for that matter, and uh, you're welcome to come and speak your mind. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll allow the fascists to come in, Gene, so we can talk some sense into them, I suppose. Right, exactly. I mean, we, we, we the economic fascists. They're otherwise yeah. known as, as supporters of Obamanomics. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly right. So, well, in any event, it is. I, I can't say enough good about that mm-hmm. show, that event, Gene. It is very unique because, uh, yeah, just anybody can get in, but I would say this about the group of people that do go there. Mm-hmm. It isn't necessarily just anybody. It's some eccentric characters, no doubt about mm-hmm. that, but they're people that are very bright, very capable, the questions they ask, uh, I think you attract and your mm-hmm. guests attract and Vic Niederhofer attracts a very, uh, a very intellectual crowd. And if you care about the things that are really serious in life, the serious problems that our country and our city are facing, then it's definitely a, you have to go to this. I, I don't care if you're a leftist, if you're on the left or the right, whatever, as Gene says, it's open to everybody. And uh, what really makes it unique also, Gene, is that people are given the freedom to ask questions and to challenge the idea is, as a matter of fact, Victor Niederhofer himself likes to get up a lot of times and raise some significant challenges to the guest speakers. And that, he certainly does. He certainly does. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, he keeps oh, you I should keep... add, let me just do uh, just one further icing on the cake. The uh, people uh, steam in at around 7. The meeting starts at 7.30. The speaker goes on at 8. If you stick around until 10, past 10, when uh, the meeting breaks up, there's a lot of interaction, a lot of opportunity for uh, young people to meet. I'd love to see uh, some career connections made some marriages uh, possibly uh, uh, in the in the making uh, there because it's also a social occasion and some people go across the street for a drink or a bite to eat and uh, it's a social occasion as well it certainly is that gene and i've made some good friends there uh, including yourself uh, since mm-hmm. i've been going Absolutely, to this yeah. and mm-hmm. really really great so well anyway let's get on mm-hmm. to the topic this week mm-hmm. uh, this this month i think is particularly interesting and and timely given uh, Obamacare, or somebody, some people have called it an abomination care. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know, but um, our the the guest speaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to have David Goldhill, I believe, is going to be the guest That's speaker, right? right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But mm-hmm. but and I want to ask you about him, and he's he's mm-hmm. written a, a book, I think, uh, catastrophic care, why mm-hmm. everything we think we know about healthcare is wrong. Mm-hmm. So I'd like you to talk about that. But before we get to that, you passed along an article from a professor. University of Chicago professor Cochran, uh, who ha- has written a paper called "What to Do When Obamacare Unravels." Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so Professor Cochran is assuming, uh, I guess, I take it that Obamacare will unravel, and actually, that is uh, along the same lines that a hedge fund manager that's going to be on this show next week uh, is suggesting as well. He says Obamacare. Mm-hmm. One of his themes for 2014 is Obamacare will implode and or will be nullified by uh, several states. So uh, does does Cochran really believe this is a f- pretty much a foregone conclusion it's it's going to blow up? Uh I believe he does and by the way uh, I happen to know that that view is shared by uh my Thursday night guest David Goldhill. Now, uh, I leave it to uh, better minds than mine, and maybe better minds than, than Cochran's, uh, perhaps your hedge fund manager who's p- 
putting his money where his mouth is, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. uh, knows better as to uh, the scenario. It's an unsustainable, the basic insight is that it's, it's unsustainable for a number of reasons, I guess not least of which is uh, that you're not going to get uh, young people, uh, as many know who, who, who uh, have some grasp of what Obamacare is all about, um, young people uh, be, uh, have to pay far more uh, than uh, their health care is worth, health care insurance is worth, in order to subsidize older people. And um, that's not going to fly. Um, you, you know, if they, if they can get away with it, uh, they're not going to do it. And they can get away with it. I mean, young people really don't have to sign up for it because there's no pre-existing conditions. If you get sick, then I guess you can sign up. But you don't have to sign up uh, and pay uh, the uh, gigantic premium that, uh, that Obamacare is demanding of young people in order to subsidize the old people. That's just one reason why it, it, it's, it's got no, it's not, they can't mark I mean, it is true to say that, uh, you know, the, obviously the state can tax people, can force people through taxes, to, to, uh, and then the IRS can jail them if they don't pay those taxes, and those taxes can subsidize, subsidize the old people. But this dream that you can get young people to voluntarily sign up for, uh, for health care insurance at a, at a grossly inflated price, when it's already a tough sell um, to, uh, to get uh, young people to buy uh, health insurance. Mm-hmm. And indeed, I think, by the way... Uh, in a free market, I think it's intriguing to think about what kind of health insurance young people would want to buy. But I think that's one reason why it's fundamentally unsustainable. And indeed, as some observers have pointed out, in a way, uh, those of us who think that uh, Obamacare is an abomination can be a little bit sorry uh, that uh, that the uh, that the internet uh, sites are not working. Because if the internet sites were working efficiently, then the t- then the basic unworkability and impossibility of Obamacare would be even clearer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it makes a lot of sense to me, Gene, because, uh, you know, how, how are young people going to pay? Anyway, let's get into, uh, I think David Goldhill has some, mm-hmm. some insights, some very valuable insights mm-hmm. that tie in very nicely uh, with mm-hmm. Professor Cochran. But I suppose, mm-hmm. where can people go? Can they go to the University of Chicago website, or where can they go to, to follow some of Professor's? Uh, uh, yeah, Professor John Cochran, he, uh, you know, if you just put his name into Google, yeah. uh, then you can get to, he po- I know he posts all his pieces, and especially his longer article that he wrote about a year ago uh, about uh, about medical care. I mean, the, the the basic really, really, I don't see any any substantive difference between a Goldhill and Cochran. There are just, in my opinion, a professor and a businessman uh, mm-hmm. just happen to be uh, the most articulate uh, in in their writings about uh, about the the potential uh, to bring uh, to, to bring the WalMarts of this world, uh, the Googles of this world. The innovative entrepreneurs uh, to medical care, where uh, uh, an industry that has been dominated by bureaucracy for 50 years, and what they could do is uh, just, you know, who knows, it's probably beyond our imagining. Uh, Goldhill ruminates that, you know, in a freely functioning competitive marketplace, there would be the Walmart of, of medical care that would that would brand itself as the inexpensive, inefficient, mm-hmm. uh, efficient, of course, efficient alternative, uh, the cheap alternative 
for the masses, and who knows what kind of wonders they could bring about, then there would be perhaps another kind of brand that would emphasize, oh, how safe we are, how careful. There'd be uh, almost as many possible brands in medical care as you can imagine, plus, of course, the potential for those brands uh, to compete on the same kind of marketing. But uh, the whole point uh, that, uh, that I think that Cochrane emphasizes is that we've had wondrous innovations when it comes to just the efficiencies of delivering retail services by, for example, Walmart. Uh, and yet uh, we, uh, we, we imagine uh, that, uh, that medical care is not uh, similar. And of course it is. It's just another uh, kind of service. Uh, it's uh, analogous to so many others. Uh, it's been said over and over again that we don't really fully understand what a doctor does when a doctor, uh, let's say, operates on us. But then how many of us understand what a mechanic does when he repairs our car? Absolutely. Um, should, uh, you know, should the uh, government uh, dominate uh, auto repair as well, especially since auto repair is, is also often a matter of life and death if the car is not repaired properly, if the tires exactly. aren't decent. So, yeah, again, yeah, exactly right. Well, yeah. well Gene, um, tell us a little bit about... Uh, so the book is Catastrophic yeah. Care. You know, one of the interesting things I know on a promotional flyer from New York City Junto, well, it's uh, in there. It's stated in there uh, that two and a half trillion dollars is spent on American healthcare each year, yeah. and I think that also uh, Professor Gold, or David Goldhill is talking about uh, some two hundred thousand deaths a year that are caused yeah. by maybe malpractice or preventable errors mm-hmm. uh, in hospitals around the country. This is a yeah. hugely costly. Uh, not very effective medical system. I'm sure a lot of people are made well as well. Of course, they are. My no, wife being uh, one that suffered yes. a significant illness last summer, and we're, we're very thankful mm-hmm. that she came out of that through mm-hmm. a good health care uh, experience. But we're paying huge amounts of money, Gene. We're paying mm-hmm. as much for health care as a lot of Americans make uh, a year, you know, lower-income people make a year just for health care. So, mm-hmm. um uh, we got my engineers tell me we got two minutes. Oh, okay. Can you sum up a little bit about uh, David Goldhill and what he's all about and what his book is about beyond what sure. you said well, you so know, the far? Subtitle, the subtitle of one of uh, certain editions of his book is "How the American Healthcare System Killed My Father" and mm-hmm. what we can do about it. He became uh, famous because his father went into the hospital in nineteen in two thousand and nine and died from an infectious disease that he contracted in the hospital. A hundred thousand people a year die from infectious diseases in hospitals. Uh, so your wife and others certainly run great risks when they're in the hospital. And those, uh, th- those deaths are very preventable, very preventable by a system that's re- that would be responsible uh, to patients. And all David is saying, David Goldhill, as a businessman, but again, a businessman who really understands uh, economics and how business principles can be uh, applied to economics, is that uh, there is no reason why uh, the medical care, the health care system cannot uh, become another business that delivers to us uh, decent service efficiently uh, and at a reasonable price. And that the only reason why it does not is because we've, uh, we, we, we're imitating the Soviet Union, as is most of the world, including Western Europe, of course, including England. 
Uh, we don't seem, we, we, we are enthralled to the religion that medical care is special and that uh, it therefore must be run by the state. And those, uh, and as a result, it's been disastrous for us. So bring it, uh, make it a part of the business system and it can probably perform just as well, if not better, uh, than any other industry that's a part of the business system and that has indeed done wonders for us through, uh, through the power of entrepreneurship. Very good, Gene. We are out of time. Thank you very much. You don't have to sell me on that one, of course, as a libertarian. Uh, but uh, I think I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, to David Goldhill. It's going to be a great time. Thank you very much again, sure. Gene, for being with us uh, to talk about Junto and other related issues. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ken. Bye-bye. Folks, don't go away. Dimitri Speck is going to be with us, and he's going to talk about The Gold Cartel, one of the greatest books, if not the greatest book, I've read on the manipulation of the gold markets the whys, the wherefores, and the hows are explained by Dimitri Speck. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Dimitri. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time, Dimitri Speck. Dimitri is a consultant to the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, but Dimitri is also he's a quantitative asset manager, trading system developer, and gold market analyst. He lives in Munich, Germany. Uh, he also, uh, in his work, specializes in pattern recognition of charts. Dimitri wrote the book called The Gold Cartel, Government Intervention on Gold, The Mega Bubble in Paper, and What This Means for the Future. And it is a book that I have in front of me, and I must say that I agree 100% with Mark Faber, who said of this book, this is a very good and and well-researched read. If there is one book in the world that really brings together all that the gold antitrust action folks have been talking about, there's one place to go to to understand the uh, enormous problem of gold manipulation and why it is a problem and how it impacts all of us, then Dimitri Speck's The Gold Cartel uh, is a book that you cannot afford to miss, and I can't emphasize uh, the importance of this book enough. Uh, So I'm really pleased to have Dimitri with me. Another note or two, he's responsible for the Stacey Commodity Fund, that's the S-T-A-Y hyphen 
C Commodity Fund that won the Hedge Fund Journal's award as Best European Commodity Fund. And his two investment funds, a stock fund and a commodity fund, have considerably outperformed the market since inception. Dimitri is the founder and editor of the website Seasonal Charts. That's seasonalcharts.com, where uh, accurate daily seasonal charts are illustrated. Uh, and you might want to take that down, folks. Seasonalcharts.com. Make a note of that. It's a, a place to go to to follow Dimitri's work. He is well, really well known as a precious metals investment analyst and has been interviewed for a number of investment letters and websites and spoken at industry uh, conferences uh, on this topic. So I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Dimitri Speck, who's talking to me today from Munich, Germany. Welcome, Dimitri. Welcome. Really good to have you with me. And I must say, I, I was amazed uh, when I picked up a copy of this book. I have not read it thoroughly, cover to cover, but I've, I've glanced through it. I've read sections of it very thoroughly, underlined, underscored, written in margins, as I do when I take on a, a work like this. Uh, but you have obviously put an awful lot of your heart and soul and hard work into it, and, and you are be uh, commended for this uh, wonderful book. But let's talk a little bit about it. Chapter one is titled, Why Gold? For the sake of our listeners who may not be all that familiar with, uh, with gold uh, and the importance of gold as money, could you explain to our listeners the difference between an asset-based money, which is gold, and the money that we use and we're forced to use by government decree, fiat money? Talk to our listeners about the difference between the two. Generally spoken, there are two kinds of money. Uh, one is simply credit, um, and our current money is based solely on credit. That means that uh, there is no backing with some real good. And the other kind of money is any money that is a real good like gold and silver. And um, historically, gold and silver um, became money centuries ago. And uh, they still have uh, the purpose to store value despite gold and silver are not used in average life anymore or at, at current times. And the difference between credit-based money and credit in general, uh, money which is based on a real good like gold and silver, is simply that gold and silver cannot uh, produce by governments or just by declaration uh, which is possible by any paper money. yeah. And this is uh, the main advantage. And the second advantage is, of course, um, any deb debitor can fail. Uh, so there can be a collapse. There can be that the bank uh, cannot pay you the money back. And this cannot be the case when you have gold and silver. This is, these are big differences between these two kinds of money. Indeed, and of course, we've seen recently in 2008, 2009, how that works when uh, when a liability-based monetary system like our fiat decreed monetary system is, gets in trouble, whereas the value of your dollar or your mark or whatever else you're using is really based on the ability of other people to pay and not uh, on the intrinsic value of the instrument itself. So uh, this is really important. And another, another idea that is thrown around out there by mainstream analysts who uh, look at the stock market and other financial assets, they, they talk about gold as if it's like any other commodity. They like to think that uh, it's dependent on the amount of new production coming out of the mines. It's not so, so true of gold. Could you explain why? Uh, gold is not a commodity that is being used like crude oil or any uh, other commodity uh, like that. It's a store of wealth. Yeah, That's uh, the, the key point with gold and partly also with silver. That means uh, you can lease gold, for instance, it makes a difference. And even if it's being used, for instance, to make the women more beautiful, 
it does not disappear. So uh, these are core differences between gold and silver and other commodities. And uh, what you can see also is that there is, um, compared to the annual consumption, we have uh, several times um, gold uh, in the world um, and in, in, in crude oil and other commodities, these are 20-30% or so, and, and then it's not more of the annual consumptions, uh, which is already um, above ground, or mm -hmm. even less. Yeah? So these are big differences between gold and silver, mainly gold and other commodities. In your book, uh, The Gold Cartel, you talked about a number of market and uh, economic crises, and I'd like to have you talk briefly about a couple of those, a, fair, a few of those, actually. There's quite a few of them. Uh, and what I've noticed uh, as an older guy that's been around these markets for a long time, that it seems that bubbles are increasing and getting bigger each each successive bubble. Since, uh, I would say, since uh, the early 1970s. In 1971, Richard Nixon detached the dollar and the world's monetary system from gold. And since then, we've seen an explosion of fiat money, of, uh, of money creation, credit money, as you call it. Uh, and so I want to ask you to... To what extent do you think Nixon's action in 1971 has contributed to various crises such as uh, the, the pound sterling crisis of 1992, the Mexican or tequila crisis, as some call it, 1994? You know, we had a whole host of crises, the Asian crisis, the Russian crisis after that. And then, of course, the granddaddy of all, the housing crisis of 2008-2009. To what extent do you think the uh, Richard Nixon's actions in 1971 are responsible or, or may have exacerbated these crises and the frequency and the severity of them over the years. Um, may I start with one point that is um, gold. Um, if money is um, limited or backed by gold, the governments um, usually have difficulties to run um, deficits. And already in the 60s, uh, the U.S. government um, talked, for instance, with the German Bundesbank and also with the Japanese central banks and others that they should not change uh, their dollars into gold because the, the U.S. wanted to run uh, ongoingly deficit. And uh, this you must keep in your mind. This started already in the 60s and 71. Nixon adjusted uh, the formal break and to run this Deficits leads for the America for America to become from a creditor to a debtor nation, and um, also it, it, it leads also to a kind of ongoingly overvaluation of the U.S. dollar. So this just in its introduction was what happened in the 60s and then 71, and when Nixon uh, finally cut any con connection to gold and uh, ending of um, of. Uh, any limits in creating credit money uh, enables the central banks and the governments of the world um, to fight against crises yeah, like the tequila crisis or the crisis in 87, the stock market crash and others um, through creating even more cr uh, credit or debt. And so um, compared to other situations in history, when we had a bubble, the bubble did burst and uh, Finally, at the, when the bubble finally bursted, uh, the credit level was like it was before the bubble uh, started. And in 87, or in tequila crisis, or in the financial crisis, and so on, uh, this correction uh, did not happen anymore because the central banks and the government simply printed more money, created more credit, or took bad credit in their own books uh, to fight against these crises. 
which in the short term is good, there's no doubt, because uh, the crisis, the recession which follows these bursting bubbles are smaller, but mm -hmm. in the long run it's bad because we are now on a very high debt level compared to GDP. Uh -huh. Indeed. And so do you, do you see, though, that this, this situation is getting worse over time because uh, they're applying more and more credit to each of these events, but it's a cumulative effect that's building up into something, a, a monster uh, decline that we're going to have sometime in the future. Um, you know, the 2000, 2008, 2009 situation looked extremely dangerous. It was extremely dangerous, but clearly they were able to keep a, a massive deflationary event uh, to hold it in check and to reflate the uh, the global economy uh, and the monetary system again with more and more money. But do you see another bubble bubbling up now, another massive bubble that may be forming as, as a few analysts seem to be concerned about now? And if so, do you think that the Fed will be able to, the Fed and the, all the Central Bank of Europe and various other monetary authorities will be able to do it once again, to be able to bail us out once again with another even greater uh, installation of credit money? That's a good question. Um, we are simply in a mega bubble. Yeah, that means that the level, credit level compared to GDP is growing and growing over, over years. And this worldwide. And um, after the financial crisis, uh, debt level was has not been reduced. Yeah, only in the financial sector. But but this is uh, not not relevant. Relevant is the entire indebtedness of the economy compared to GDP, and this is ongoingly rising. And if you look at uh, the values of the stock market uh, evaluations and so on, and at the credit levels compared to GDP, we are simply still in, in this mega bubble. And uh, for sure, the next crisis will come. Yeah? Okay, the next one will come. But my question is, will they be able to uh, to hold it in check? In other words, I think I read somewhere in your book you talked about if the Fed had not intervened with this massive amount of, of credit, instead of a 5% decline or something along those lines of, of GDP, we might have seen a 25 or 30% decline. My question is, do you think that forever and ever the monetary authorities will be able to keep doing this, will be able to keep, you know, perpetuating these bubbles and ever bigger bubbles, or will there come a time when it will no longer be possible and we either go into some hyperinflationary event or some deflationary implosion that changes uh, the political land landscape and actually might uh, return us to some sort of sensible asset-based gold money system. So which way do you think it will play out, I guess, is, that's my question. We're heading into what I believe is a massive bubble again in the bond markets, in the equity markets, all, all manner of markets. We're seeing in, insane prices for art objects, for uh, diamonds and things like that. How do you think this will play out, the next bubble? Will, will they be able to sustain this uh, into the future and how far? Um. In my opinion, uh, we have several possible outcomes. Once you one you mentioned, for instance, deflation, uh, which most likely the central banks and the governments will, through reflation measures, um, try to avoid. And another is this so-called financial repression. I think we have such a high debt level, it will not work. So, in my opinion, most likely is indeed that it always will end in a kind of uh, strong inflation, and um, from that follows that the market, that the people, that the economy will ask for a strong money, most likely gold. 
yeah, and maybe silver too. So you think that this that the system as it exists now will self destruct, and and that there will be a return at least for a while to more to a more sound monetary system based on gold and or silver. All right, this is what I expect. Yeah. Maybe okay. not not soon, but sooner or later. Okay, well, with regard to the question of the gold manipulation, I guess you'd say, or gold cartel, and cartels are designed to uh, manipulate markets in their favor, why do you think, and, and to the extent that government is involved with, uh, with this manipulation, wh- why do you think governments care so much about the price of gold? Why do they care so much, uh, and why do they make such an effort? And I want to ask you about evidence for that uh, manipulation of the gold markets, but why do you think it's of such concern uh, to the ruling elite, to the government, to perhaps some major banks that are in cahoots with the government. Why is it so important to suppress the price of gold? Gold is a direct competitor to um, fiat money, to credit-based money, uh, because yeah, it's limited in its quantity. Yeah, and it's it's um, the only money which is created by the market over many years in the history, and not by the government. So what central banks. Uh, are trying to do if they suppress the price of gold is simply um, that they want that the competitor of their own money uh, looks terrible. Um, the, the core, when, when it started the suppression of the, um, uh, the gold price in 1993, the idea of Greenspan, we have also some quotes in this regard, was that he wanted that the gold price does not rise because this would change the behavior of the people. Yeah, they would simply uh, expect a higher inflation and maybe ask for higher uh, rates on their, on their bank accounts or for higher income uh, if they are workers and so on. Uh, but for instance, if there's a crisis like in 2008 or the euro crisis in 2011 about, uh, they suppress the price of gold Because then the people simply think, uh, okay, in my bank account, the money might not be safe. But uh, when the gold price drops, like after the Cyprus crisis uh, just some months ago, gold is not even is even worse. So I can also keep my money on the account. So these are the ideas uh, from the governments uh, and the central banks. They simply want to keep, not allow that gold rises, especially in such situations. In chapter three of your book, you talk about the strange behavior of the gold crisis. Uh, could could you give our listeners, um, could you tell our listeners a little bit about that? What what strange behavior did you notice uh, in the in the gold markets that uh, told you something wasn't quite kosher? Yeah, I did a simple stuff. Statistic. Uh, I looked for financial crises, and uh, these crises I uh, identified through stock market drops. So mm-hmm. what I did was um, I looked at more than 10 stock market drop drops, and always when the stock market drops fast, uh, just in the two weeks uh, around this event, also gold does not rise, but does fall too. So compared, uh, gold is considered as being a safe haven, yeah? but it behaves, especially in crisis situations, fully different. It suddenly starts to drop. <laughs> And this is, of course, uh, not because gold has lost his safe haven, safe haven function, but it is because uh, there are interventions which simply want to take, they simply want to take care that the money does in crisis situation does not flow into gold, but let's say into the bonds and maybe then back in, back in 
from the stock market again. You know, I might just take this uh, moment to mention to, to my listeners that, that again, what to me, we don't have time to cover anywhere near uh, all of the material in this book. It's just so massive. There is so much evidence. And uh, in terms of documentation, this is just one this is just one bit of evidence of manipulation. Dimitri talks about all, all manner of, uh, of evidence, but uh, statistical evidence in Chapter 5 you talk about as well. But, you know, Dimitri, one of the things that really made me chuckle and I thought was really amazing, in Chapter 19 you talk about on August 5th, 1993 at 8.27 Eastern Time, you have identified that particular second in, in history as the beginning of a systematic gold market intervention. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? What was unique and what happened on August 5th, 1993 at 8.27 Eastern Time? Um, first, there have been already um, interventions in the gold market before in the 70s, for instance, through selling. Yes, this was a, a completely different picture. Than, and then in the 80s, there have been only a few interventions because in the 80s, the need for gold market interventions from the few parts of the government was not so high because inflation and the rise did drop during this year. Mm-hmm. But in 93, the central banks agreed um, that they don't want to allow the gold price to stay above 400. And uh, this, the initiative for this came from, from Greenspan and maybe Larry Summers. And that time, uh, under state secretary in the U.S. And um, so uh, gold did rise above 400. And at this particular moment, uh, the, there was a sharp drop and and the gold price, and this was the start of the systematic interventions which continue until today. Um, So Larry Summers probably involved, and Larry Summers uh, seemed to be very much aware of the link between interest rates and and gold prices and real interest rates as well. So it's definitely the work that the Gold Antitrust Action Committee has done, and Reginald Howell and others that are associated with it have, have identified Summers as one of the key players in this uh, in this whole intervention process. Uh, in chapters 9, 10, 11, 12, and 17, you talk about ways uh, the price of gold is being manipulated. Uh, could you uh, perhaps just share, I think you touched on one, you talked about selling gold sales, and that was in the 1990s, so to try to hold the price of gold at $400 or below $400. But what are some of the, uh, what are some of the other methods that, are, that have been used and are still being used to this day to try to keep the gold price from, from rising when, when, as you point out, it should rise, when there's, when there's more uh, anxiety about markets? Gold prices should rise. Instead, they've been battered down, it seems, during these periods of time, as you point out. But talk to our listeners a little bit about the various methods that are used by the, um, by the gold cartel. Uh, and, and maybe before you even do that, maybe I should ask you, who, who, who are the players in the gold cartel? So these are, okay, so the, the, the original players in the 90s yeah, were the central banks and, and, and um, the treasuries from the U.S., yeah? Mm-hmm. Plus some so-called bullion banks. These are banks uh, which are involved in the gold lending business. And there we have also two main men- methods. One is gold sales through central banks and one is gold lending. But both these two measures have uh, the, the, the uh, disadvantage um, that the gold um, disappears from the walls of the central banks. And mm-hmm. of course, Central banks don't want to lose all their gold, 
and they don't want, uh, they don't have endless gold. So they changed the methods. Uh, the current main method are what uh, these waterfall uh, drops in the price of gold, which uh, these are within minutes or even seconds, the price of gold drops, let's say $20, $30. And this leads that other in investors um, go away from the uh, gold market uh, and this changes simply the behavior because from a few point of an investor, gold is at that moment interesting when it rises over time. Sure. You can see, for instance, that uh, in this two-year co correction that has gold now, um, since 2011, gold is falling. Many institutional investors and other trend followers simply say, we don't want to invest in, into gold because it's dropping and mm -hmm. they have to show performance. And so um, these gold drops, these sudden drops in the gold price um, change the behaviors of investors and of potential investors and lead, lead to a lower price. As this, these are the three methods, sales, landing, and these price shocks. And the futures market uh, where I see something like the leverage factor or the, the paper to actual physical Delivery is something like 100 to 1 or more perhaps these days, and there's some talk in the markets about uh, the LMBA and the COMEX in the United States becoming irrelevant in the future because uh, because of this sort of almost a casino-like uh, environment where there's just people trading uh, paper on the long and short side uh, of the markets. Do you think that there there is a move now afoot, uh, it seems, to... Uh, start commodity markets, uh, gold and silver trading markets in China and elsewhere. Do you think this is a very important development that is taking place now? Um, this might be a very important uh, development. It seems so. If you look, um, there is gold moving from west to east, and mm -hmm. uh, this is one of the disadvantages of this gold suppression. There are many, uh, but this is one, because uh, uh, if you lose gold, then you have less. And... <laughs> So you have a short-term advantage from the viewpoint of the governments mm -hmm. uh, that, that you can have lower rates and a stronger dollar and so on. These are the advantages of, of the gold suppression. But in the long run, you have much more disadvantages. Yes? And this is clearly a movement that can be seen currently that gold moves from west to east. But we should not think that the, that China is interested, for instance, in, in weak treasuries or in a weak dollar because they have invested so much money themselves in, in, in U.S. treasuries that they are uh, in the same boat like the U.S. government. They want a strong dollar. and So, so do you believe that the Chinese, uh, to what extent do you think the Chinese are importing gold? How, how massive is this, this move of gold from the, east to the we uh, from the west to the east? It's a massive move. Yeah? We don't have exactly figures, but the, the figures that we have, for instance, gold in Switzerland, which is being melted to smaller bars and, and things like that shows it currently is a strong move from west to east. And this is connected, of course, with this low gold price, followed by the Cyprus crisis, where the gold price did drop, in my opinion, artificially. Mm -hmm. And then we have this movement out of um, ETF bonds, um, the several hundred tons uh, are leave, left the ETF bonds and 
obviously they are going to somewhere, mostly to China. So in my opinion, it was a, a wrong decision to to let gold drop, to cause this drop after the Cyprus crisis. So do you see the Chinese then as using this? Uh, do, they have certainly talked about a new currency regime globally. Uh, do you think that's their end game? Do the Chinese want to create a, a renminbi that might be backed by gold? Or, or what do you think they've got in mind? And they want to get out of dollars, but they can't do it suddenly? Is this sort of a longer-term strategy to uh, to preserve their wealth um, by switching out of dollars into hard assets? From the Chinese viewpoint, gold, gold cannot play the role of money in the near term because they simply do not have enough gold compared to the paper assets that they do have. Mm-hmm. But they want diversification that is clear, and gold is one asset uh, they are investing in. It. Gold must be much higher. Uh, we must see a much higher gold price that gold can play uh, again um, this role uh, between governments, between central banks and as, as, a, uh, as money, as main money than it is now. Now it's simply not, uh, if you compare the amount of treasuries uh, which uh, the Chinese central bank has compared to the gold, it's simply much more so currently, the, the Chinese are simply diversification, diver, uh, make simply diversification, and one point is of course gold. So the Chinese are are trying to. I mean, some of the accounts that I've uh, that I've come across are suggesting, you know, maybe even as much as a couple of thousand tons imported this year into China. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but how much? How much gold would China need to have in order to start to force an issue? Uh, you know, in order to to say demand a, a, a their renminbi be, um, be a, become a world's currency, the world's reserve currency. How much gold would they have to have in order for that to, to take place? I think it's a process which, which will still take years. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Uh, this, this shifting from one uh, currency to another is nothing which happens within a few years. It simply takes many years and at that point of time, the Chinese, in my opinion, will also have much more gold than they currently have. But this is really a thing which takes five, ten, or even more years from now. Okay. Uh, you, uh, a chapter in your book talks about strong dollar and weak mining stocks. This show talks a lot about mining companies. We talk to mining company CEOs. Uh, my newsletter focuses on gold mining companies. The dollar, from a long-term point of view, looks relatively weak, though the last couple of years it's been stronger at the very time that we've seen mining stocks decline very dramatically, gold prices declining very dramatically. Do you think, um, what's your prediction going forward 2014-2015? Do you think we're going to continue to see weak gold prices and a strong dollar relative to other currencies, or, or, or how do you see this playing out over the next year or two? We are in the gold in a correction of the gold price, which can still last, let's say, one year or a little bit longer than one year. Mm-hmm. This is simply because the bull market uh, uh, started in 2001 uh, and lasted the first move of the gold market, bull market, I want to say, uh, started in 2001 and lasted until 2011. So it was a duration of 10 years. Um, so we are now in the correction, which can continue. It would not be a surprise if it would last, let's say, one year or 15, 16 months is more. But then I expect, latest then I expect the next move up, which should bring us percentage-wise, in my opinion, a similar rise than the first move. Yeah? Mm-hmm. 
And you, so, so 2014 may not actually be the bottom of the gold price yet. When I look at the charts, uh, Dimitri, I see um, pretty strong support just above $1,000. What, what are your thoughts? Uh, how far down could gold go yet? Do you have any, any predictions along those lines? Um, currently, the sentiment for gold is so low, which you can see also in the gold mining prices, yep. which are a kind of leverage instrument on gold. Uh, that I first see an up move. Mm -hmm. But then uh, uh, one must look at the market again, maybe in a few months, uh, whether this up move will last or whether we will see what I first see a continuation of, of the current correction. And then we could also see 1,000 or something like this in the mm -hmm. gold price before it then rises again uh, and percentage-wise like the first move yeah, from 2001 to 2011, which was sevenfold or something like that. Uh, well, it, it certainly has been a painful experience for those of us invested in gold shares, that's for sure. Uh, if if uh, we haven't managed to hedge ourselves, it's been very, very difficult, especially for the juniors. Um, I, I've seen a lot of corrections being made by, uh, you know, a lot of uh, basic operational uh, changes being made by the major mining companies in an attempt to retain profit, uh, remain profitable, and to earn money. But uh, what do you? So you think, just sort of in summing up here, Dimitri, what do you think the 2014 for the equity markets, the bond markets? So do you, do you think uh, that we continue to see um, low interest rates in the United States, strong equity markets in 2014? Uh, the stock market uh, here we have the opposite uh, picture compared to the gold market. There's too much optimism in the uh, in the stock market currently. The evaluation, especially of the U.S. market, is quite high. So I don't see uh, I I don't the U.S. stock market country is not my favorite one. Yeah, and um, also other markets I would currently stay away. Maybe after a correction of the U.S. stock market, some emerging markets or East European markets might be interesting. And uh, with respect to the euro, do you see a stronger euro vis-a-vis -vis the dollar uh, in 2014 again? Um, the euro has a year-end movement, uh, which should turn now, and then I see first a weaker euro. Okay. Well, I want to just uh, tell our listeners that they should go to uh, seasonalcharts.com. Dimitri, is that where can people get a copy of your book? I think they can buy it at any of the bookstores. Do they can they go to a, web, a website or where? Because they anybody that cares about their future, about gold, and and everybody should care about gold because it is so important in terms of the economic climate that we all live in, and it's such an important way to protect yourself uh, by owning it against the ravages of inflation and uh, debasement of currency that, that people should, everybody should care about. Dimitri Specs, The Gold Cartel. Dimitri, where can people go to pick up a copy of this book? The book is available um, by the publisher, which is Pelgrave Macmillan, or it's available in Amazon uh, in hard copy, but also in an electronic format. Yeah, oh. But you can also get it in bookshops, of course. It is just a fascinating read. It is very well, as Mark Faber says, this is a very good and well-researched read. I couldn't agree with him more. It is something that I'm going to be keeping next to me uh, in the months to come because I think the, the history that Dimitri presents here is very instructive.
instructive and helping us understand uh, the future as well. Dimitri, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show today and talking to our listeners. I think you've been, uh, you've done a tremendous job with this book. You've worked hard on it. Uh, your expertise is very much, uh, we very much appreciate the fact that you're sharing your expertise with our listeners. Thank you too, Jay, and thank you also to the listeners. Thank you so much. Well, folks, don't go away because coming up next uh, will be John Rabino. He's co-authored a very important book in the past called Dollar Collapse with James Turk, and he's he and James have written a new book. We'll talk to him about that. We're also going to talk to John about some issues we didn't get to the last time he was on the show, including Bitcoin. Uh, we'll see what John has to say about Bitcoin. Uh, is it really a serious competitor uh, on the world scene as a currency, and is it as legitimate as gold? Well, we'll talk to John about that and many more issues, so don't go away. We'll be right back with John Rubino. 